0: The Walk the Mile podcast is produced on Gadigal land. I acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which Skeg Darlinghurst stands, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and pay my respects to Elders past and present. May our reconciliation be an ongoing process of love and compassion. Hello everyone, I'm Gary Lee Lindsay, school chaplain at Skeggs Darlinghurst and you're listening to Walk the Mile, a podcast that opens up conversations that we need to have. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Walk the Mile. Thank you again for listening. If you're, you're listening for the first time, good to have you with us. Today, we have uh, one of our ex-students, and she's one of three. Her Two sisters came here as well. Isn't that right, Viv?
1: Yeah, my two younger sisters, Jacqueline and Genevieve, were also Skeks girls. That's
0: right. So Viv, Vivian Smith, you, you're still called Viv, aren't you? Vivian, Vivian.
1: Yeah, only mum calls me Vivian if I'm in trouble.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so Viv finished and you were first to finish, is that right? Yep. In 2008. And then Jackie, is that right?
1: Yep. Don't make me quote their years, but Jackie was <laughs> Jacqueline. Now, she's definitely a Jacqueline. She's uh, a Jacqueline, okay. Yeah.
0: Sorry, uh, Jacqueline.
1: She's about, I think she's two years behind me. And Genevieve, oh, look, the maths teachers at Skegs would tell you I was never good in- at <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: You, you were, yeah. go- were you gone by the time she she came <laughs> into the high school, probably?
1: Yeah, so I don't I don't know when they graduated. I'm sorry.
0: That's okay. But from a long line of 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 Skeg students, and it's good to have you here. Now, Viv, before we get into actually what you've been doing, which is very exciting, very interesting, what did you do as soon as you finished school?
1: Um, I tried to find a way to go on exchange. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I needed. Mum's like, you got to go to university. You got to get a degree. Um, and I, I knew I wanted to do film, yeah. um, and the creative arts. It's not always a linear path. Doing the creative arts in a, I guess, a degree structure. Yeah. Um. But you know, we found we found something. I did a a bachelor of digital media at the College of Fine Arts. But the reason I chose them was because they're attached to the University of New South Wales, and you can do an exchange program through them.
0: All right. And did you end up doing an exchange program?
1: I did. I went to two years later. In my third year, I went to Paris.
0: Right. Yeah. And and did you want to go to Paris in particular or was there you just wanted to go overseas to study or you just wanted to see a bit more of the world?
1: It was a little bit of everything. Uh, Definitely wanted to travel and really had a big travel bug. I had done a little month kind of small exchange in year 10 to Montreal and I had studied French throughout high school. So I kind of had this this skill and this language. So I thought, oh, well... (laughs) Might as well go and use it. Might so that's kind it. of why i I chose France, but I wasn't right. I didn't have my heart set on Paris. I just kind of thought somewhere in in France. yeah. and uh, and I and I always knew that that would just be the ticket to exploring Europe, which is what I did.
0: Great. Right. And it looks like you you know as you said, you've got the travel bug and you got this this hunger, well not hunger, a passion for film as well. Yep. And you've been able to in your in your lifetime so far, been able to bind those two things together. Can you tell us something about what happened after that? So you studied, you went to Paris, then what was your, what was your dream? What were you after?
1: It was really broad. It was I just want to direct and make movies. <laughs> um, I've since learned it helps to um, ha- have those big goals but set some some stuff in between that. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so I I guess I had this incredible love for travelling and adventure. I grew up in a family that camped and skied and did bike riding and all sorts of stuff and did the Duke of Edinburgh program at Skeggs and loved it. Um. And so I had a, that kind of side of me and then I wanted to tell stories and make movies and it was just kind of all a bit of a, a young person's swirl of I just kind of want to do everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I was applying for jobs, um, just anything. I mean, when you're when you're kind of finishing film school and you realize you've got like the the industry ahead of you, like a whole career ahead of you, you just kind yeah. of start needing to get experience. So I was kind of just a bit of a shotgun approach. I was just submitting resumes and trying to find anything. In the
0: um, film industry or
1: yeah, in the film industry. Um I guess maybe one little tip for anyone out there. I my mom said, look. I know you want to direct, but try and get like a hard skill that you can kind of use in these early days. Yeah, so right. for me, that was editing. Um, so I I did a lot of editing. I picked up like little. I remember editing some Excel how-to videos. Just, <laughs> you know, anything to get going. And yeah. eventually, um, in my very last semester at college, I landed this job at a production company that was specializing in um, adventure sports tv and films right
0: and before we get onto that what what is it about making the films because as you said you know you you did a lot of adventure stuff with your family you enjoyed doing those things you enjoyed doing duke of ed what what is it about putting it on film is it about telling the story of what you've been through or is it about capturing something else
1: um yeah i've always been drawn to Telling stories, my I, these are not really even my memories. My parents telling me, I would just be constantly putting on little plays with the whatever I could find—dolls, teddy bears. Sisters right. are really helpful for that, particularly younger sisters. <laughs> I mean, we're all creative. I truly believe we're all creative, and so some people that expresses itself through music and mm-hmm. this drawing, and for me, it was storytelling. It was just writing stories, and it and then in high school, it it morphed into a, a, a kind of a visual thing of that so taking photographs and uh was in part of the film club I don't know if it's still there at Skaggs but there was a film club and uh had a little camera that I would take with me on family holidays and it was I think a combination of both it was filming my own like processing of the world but also Mm -hmm. running into lots of other things I remember filming um you know, some of the, the cultures that we'd run into on our travels and filming their stories and yeah, right. getting exposure to a world outside of mine.
0: Okay. And wanting to share that with other people?
1: Yeah. I think that's our innate human, like, base. It's it's one of them. I mean, there's eating and breathing and then <laughs> I think there's connection. And we Yeah, do, yeah. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's playing music, it's telling a story. Yeah. It's through stories that we learnt what berries not to eat. Yeah. Uh, and it's through stories that we learned you know oh good food over there dangerous yep. over there and uh, we've been doing it thousands of years i'm not the first i'm like no, the not not
0: <laughs> but i like the way you put it you know that idea of connection and that you know you're telling a story just not because um, of course you like doing what you're doing but there is another element to it as well isn't there like people who learn an instrument they have this idea of being able to perform they could just keep it a lot of people might just want to do it for the joy or you know for themselves but a lot of people also think about it in terms of performing and connecting with an audience there's something about that isn't there
1: yeah it is it's just so innately human I think and whatever skill that is even like the mathematicians and we often think oh they're not the creative ones but um, I mean, I don't understand it, but they get so creative with numbers. And then what do they want to do? They want, want to, like, join with other mathematicians and share. Yeah. Well, hey, I've got this formula that does this weird thing now. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I think it's just so natural for us to reach out. We can't survive on our own.
0: So. No, that's right. In your in your filmmaking, and as you said, you know, going to other cultures and and filming those people, and I know, again, now you're quite involved or you have been involved. In doing a lot of filming overseas in different places. What uh, what have you learned about human nature? You've talked about connection. What are some other things you might have learned just that are sort of common across people in general?
1: Yeah. Oh wow, that's huge. And, and and this is an ongoing journey because I think when there was my early 20s and I was in this swirl of adventure and jumping on and off planes, and um, and a lot of this I've processed later in my 30s um i think there are huge oh, how do i put this there are a lot of stories out there and they're not all being told yeah. um and there's a there's a certain type of story that we get told um growing up it's mostly been told by men um and we're we're starting to diversify i think youtube and tiktok and social media has expanded the stories we get access to.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but I ran into some incredible, incredible stories, very remote parts of the world, parts of the world, like Xinjiang, China in the north of China, which is I uh, got a lot of um, a very sharply focused lens on it. Um, and there's a lot of very painful um, stories there uh, that are not being told, that are being hushed mm. and silenced. Mm. And that's all over the world. And so whenever I'd run into that I i have since kind of asked myself um who gets to do the t- storytelling um and whose stories are we telling
0: Yeah yeah right that's a good point Do you feel like you're a bit of an advocate for people through your through your filmmaking
1: I'd like to be I'm not necess- I don't think my early work as a 20-year-old adventure filmmaker was necessarily doing that mm-hmm. uh, but it has laid a groundwork for me to start to unpack that and think about that
0: You're right
1: i went into a lot of places i told a particular type of story it was often wealthier people coming in and like doing adventure stuff which is really fun and it's and it's great and it's a great way to share the world um and we i've shot ski films for example we'd go into northern china and we'd look at the 2000 year old history of skiing and wow. modern ski athletes and we made this amazing it's one of my favorite films I've worked on and won awards for it. I'm very proud of it. but at the same time being in that part of the world and seeing all these other stories, all these other people that are there, yeah, yeah. Up, okay, we're telling a ski film story, which is you know great and interesting and has its has its place yeah uh, but you know how who as I said, who gets to tell these stories? yeah and and what stories are we listening to? Yeah. So, thats so you- me.
0: So you found yourself in places with maybe an idea of what you wanted to do, but then as you meet people and talk to people, did, did it ever change? You're thinking, oh, we came in to make this ski movie, but now I actually want to talk about something else.
1: Yeah, and we have, look, China's an interesting one to work within because you don't have a lot of freedom of right. movement and kind of what you do. We came in, we were working with the Chinese government and we had a... Um, I mean, you can't really do anything really in China as an outsider without the blessing from the Chinese government. Um, so we're working in conjunction with them on a number of adventure film projects, not just mm-hmm. ski films, but there was a marathon race that we shot, um, a mountain climb that we shot, wow. broad documentaries that went on to places like National Geographic and Discovery Channel. And, um, and again, there was, there was a... a a very valid purpose behind those stories. We were we were um, part of a mission for China to open up and show China's landscapes and and China oh, really? as, as an adventure destination and 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 it is an incredible incredible place to go. It's it's it really knocks your socks off the stuff that is in China. Mm. Um, like the, I mean, we were in parts of the world that hadn't seen um, a white person like me with. Wow. You know, I'd be wow. running towns and they'd want to touch my hair. And so it's yeah. quite extraordinary, like where we were able to get our cameras.
0: That's amazing.
1: And uh yeah, but it was it, it just is curious then you've obviously meeting lots and lots of people and lots and lots of stories. Um yeah. so yeah it's just something I've mused on um as I've been exposed to these parts of the world.
0: Yeah. Uh, and yeah. it sounds like it's changed you know that that exposure to to places that have fairly untouched. Now, how has it changed you? You know, how's, Has it changed you in, in the way that you see the world? As you said before, you know, whose story is it to tell? But what other ways has it had an impact on you?
1: My compassion and hospitality. Right. <laughs> I have never run into more completely generous hospitality in some of these places. Uh, we often are operating in parts of the world where there aren't restaurants and so yeah. crewing up. And feeding a crew is not like how you would do it, you know, in a big city like LA or Sydney. Um, you can't just call up film catering and get them to show up <laughs> with a box of food So, yeah. you know, or even just stop in at a restaurant. So it would be so remote that I'd be with my translator knocking on the door of a yurt and kind of saying, hey, can we pay you to cook a little bit more tonight because um, we've got our film crew here. And they And they often wouldn't accept our money. They'd always... Always, always host us. They couldn't understand our language. They couldn't understand us or who we were doing, what what we were doing. You know, they were, what what do you mean skiing, running up a mountain? But that didn't matter. They they opened up their yurts and their homes and and they fed us just so generously and they prayed over us and they welcomed us in. And we don't do that. We don't, I don't, anyone in Australia I've known that kind of,
0: at least yeah it's another level of generosity isn't it i remember that in uganda and i was when i first time i went over with my family and we were welcomed into this uh, family in a place called kitgum and Mm. um they the the woman i think she would have been in her 70s she knew we were coming there was about 11 of us and she'd gone out into the village that day she didn't have any furniture but she'd gone in the village and just asked for chairs from people so when we arrived there we'd be able to sit on the (laughs) they're all mismatched chairs around this fire her and you know the other women in the village had cooked this amazing meal from whatever they could find you know yeah and it's it's mind-blowing isn't it just that type of generosity it's just another level
1: yeah it's extraordinary it's very very humbling it is and it is life-changing and I've tried as best as I can to do that in my apartment and I've you know particularly with this housing crisis that's going on now and Mm. rental crisis and you know there's been a couple of people at work that you know have been you know have to leave one rental place and they don't know when they're going to get another one and you know there's a couch (laughs) come Um, but it's but it's it is funny because I don't think we're even used to receiving it
0: (laughs) no that's (laughs) right it's a bit of a shock too
1: yeah I, don't, yeah, I don't want to impose and be on yeah. in your house for more than a week.
0: Exactly. Or we might think that, some, you know, there's there's something behind it, you know. Exactly. <laughs> and in your trips, in your travels, did you ever come across situations where, because as you say, you go to fairly remote remote places, you ever come across places where you felt like it was dangerous or, you know, you're worried about how you're going to get through a certain situation? or did you always feel like no it's okay
1: yeah interesting question um it's oh it's a tricky one to kind of, when well, it's not tricky it's there's a lot of parts to that answer um because there's like as we just talked about this hospitality i often found that the people the average joe's on the street were yeah. lovely incredibly yeah. welcoming um, and I never felt unsafe with them being in, you know, it was a, it was a, a migrating tribe in northern China or a family in north in India. They, I, j- I never felt unsafe around the, the people. Yeah. What made me unsafe often were the governments, the
0: structures, oh, okay. the
1: political systems. The and we went through a lot of checkpoints and. And those are those are strange because you don't know if often like you've got passports and 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 visas and permits kind of floating above your head, and and yeah. some handler and a translator is organising them. So you often don't have a lot of visibility over over kind of what's happening. There's yeah. a lot of translations and languages that you don't understand, and so there's there are mo- there's a lot of moments of uncertainty. There's a lot of long moments of being held up in a place or not, not you know knowing if you're gonna get through. I've been held at gunpoint several times. Yeah. Um so it's it's those moments of not quite yeah you're very much in a foreign environment. You don't you don't understand the the way in which the government's structure and, and they're and they're not there to look after you. They no, you're not right. a top priority for them. And look nothing has even those moments where I got held at gunpoint, nothing has eventuated where I've um you know, anything particular. We've managed to work through all of those mm. situations. Mm.
0: End. When you were preparing to go to places like that, um, you've got this movie, I'm imagining, you know, you've got this film in mind. How much, was there a lot of bureaucracy that you have to get through before you make your way over there and turn the cameras on?
1: Yeah. Yeah, and it's a lot. <laughs> China <laughs> and India were some of the most complicated and I think they make sense, um, they probably make sense to a local. The locals, and that's the thing, if you've got a local, you can kind of fall into this slipstream yeah. and then suddenly you're through.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but you know, trying to figure it out on your own is impossible because yeah. it's not just knowing the language, it's it's the culture of it. It's knowing when exactly. to slip a bribe. Exactly. And bribe viewed as different. You know, they're just bribes are kind of like maybe an administration fee that we yeah. might pay. Yeah. <laughs> so it's right. it's a way yeah.
0: of life, isn't it, for a lot of yeah a lot of cultures
1: yeah so that's um yeah we couldn't do it we couldn't do it alone we did it in conjunction with our partners on the ground and we have amazing friends and yeah they they do become your friends they become um because you, you know you're bumping around in the back of a four wheel drive with them for for a month you know sometimes six weeks and you get to know them and um yeah. you know they look after everything for you food your accommodation you don't really operate a lot by yourself and like, even like because for in china Maybe it's changed, but when we were there, foreigners couldn't drive. So, you know, right. you're, you're really reliant on your driver yeah. and he's yeah. wandered off. You're kind of like, oh, I don't know where he went. And you're just kind of <laughs> just stuck there in the middle of nowhere waiting for him to come back and he's just visiting a cousin down the road. And- <laughs> That's right.
0: <laughs> I know those sorts of stories. I remember having to wait for a bus once for five hours and they were supposed- <laughs> had a, a load of 50 kids to put on that bus yeah. in Africa and the guy had just gone to the bank. yeah. <laughs>
1: Just move at a different pace and
0: that's, right.
1: and that's too i have also in terms of lessons i've learned is you know just slow down
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah slow down true, have a chat
1: yeah. have a chat to someone on the side of the road and
0: yeah and what matters i guess yep and i've heard on the grapevine with all your overseas travels and so on you've you've put out uh or you're involved in i don't know if you've put it out but you're involved in a in a travel app is that right have I got that right? Yes.
1: Very much involved in it. Um, so we were kind of all talking, everything I've just been talking about was in a bit of a pre-pandemic world. Yeah. Um, as you may have gathered from some of the stories, we we couldn't really do our job over Zoom. So <laughs> being an adventure, owning and running an adventure film production company uh, was not very pandemic proof. Yeah. And so when the lockdowns came in, um, I was looking at my production partners across the Zoom screen and all of our slated productions for that year had uh, disappeared and we're kind of staring at each other wondering what we're going to do.
0: Were they all in Australia?
1: No, they're all over the place. There was a job in India, um, a documentary about whitewater rafting in northern India. Uh, There was a ski film we were going to shoot in Colorado, um, something else. Anyway, it all disappeared and um, couldn't get on a plane, couldn't get on a plane, couldn't move anywhere. I mean, some aspects of the film industry were able to move on and um, control environments during the lockdowns, but uh, yeah, the travel adventure film space was <laughs> pretty hard hit. Yeah. But we had this one project which was uh, originally a TV show, and it was a travel show, and it was visiting film locations. Um, I guess, I guess, seeing it was a travel show, seeing the world through the lens of where movies were shot. So,
0: oh, okay,
1: you know, going to. Iceland and Croatia and seeing it through the lens of Game of Thrones and travelling to James Bond locations and Star Wars locations. And Mm -hmm. um, some of these films have shot in really, really stunning parts of the world.
0: Yeah.
1: So um, we obviously couldn't film that, but we thought, hey, this. we always thought that the TV show um, could be accompanied by an app. So as you're watching the show, you could then load up the app and see where these locations were. So we thought well we can't film the show but maybe we can make the app
0: yeah right <laughs>
1: so we did all right we well. built, yeah we built set jitters in lockdown uh it's available uh to download download set Jetters, and uh yeah we've got over seven thousand scenes around the world you can submit scenes Right. Uh, take a photo at the location we help you line up the photo uh, with the original frame from the movie it's all a right. lot of fun
0: yeah so set Jetters.
1: Yeah, yeah, pun on. Yes.
0: <laughs> but it doesn't. It doesn't actually take you there. It's just giving you advice as to where you can go to find these places. And
1: yeah, we have an accurate map with a set of pins on it, so we're pretty pretty accurate to where the camera was that took a specific frame from a movie. So you know, if you're a diehard, you know, Lord of the Rings fan, um, right. you know, we've got pins all over New Zealand croatia i mean latest you know uh example would be uh, white lotus when that came out yeah yeah right flights to italy like to that little town where the where the yep. show was shot it's completely booked out um and they saw like a 400 increase in um clicks on the website for the hotel right. um, but yeah it's quite extraordinary the impact that a tv show will have yeah, yeah. so yeah. yeah we show people you can search in our app you know search for a movie title or well, you can zoom around on the map and we'll show you where everything was shot.
0: Yeah, great. That's great. Is that is that type of thing in that in the film industry, you know, having to keep I wouldn't say reinventing yourself, but keep looking for things I don't know. I mean, the pandemic was a very specific game changer for a lot of people in a lot of areas. And so here you were thinking about another way of maintaining know some sort of product but what about in producing films are you continually thinking about doing something you know not necessarily a different location but something different different way of looking at things a different way of presenting things a different way of involving a, a maybe a different audience or
1: totally totally i think there's been a number of factors that have put pressures on us to change um Technology is a big one. So, you know, I mentioned before YouTube, TikTok, you know, Instagram, they've completely revolutionized the way that we uh, share stories and tell visual visual based stories. Um, um, And I think that's great. I think it's awesome. It's, you know, there's a lot of short form content figuring out how to tell stories in a quick way. It's democratized who gets to tell stories. Yeah. Um, Just need a phone and internet connection and you can get your story out there. Um, It's allowed a lot of people to practice the art of filmmaking yeah and so i think that's great i think that's really awesome and then there's been some really massive social changes and again that ties back into who gets to tell stories you know we've got big um pressures on hollywood now to diversify uh you know what their big awards shows look like you know the films that they get funded who they cast uh and this is all this is all great change um and uh yeah and it's I think these are all. I think it's all changed for for good. And it's you know I've even reflected across my own history of storytelling and filmmaking and what I told ten years ago, the stories I told ten years ago. I don't know if they're necessarily the stories I would strive to tell right now. I mean, I'm happy with the stuff I've told. Yeah. I'm proud of the work I've done, but I also like to think that yeah, I think there's different stuff I can tell now and other makers I can support.
0: Yeah, and documentaries is still your thing. Have you ever thought of making some other type of, I don't know, some other type of genre move into that? Or have you maybe, maybe. sorry for my ignorance, maybe you have?
1: I've been working a lot on my narrative work. Um, A lot of that has been pandemic-inspired, just um, being very grounded for a while. So I've had a couple of short films do the festival round and um, working on that. Yeah, I think as a filmmaker, if you, as I said, because the technology has changed, kind of what we produce there's so much more you can produce. So I've, I've created short form content and long form content, TV series. I've created stuff specifically just for TikTok, just for YouTube. Right. Um, so yeah, I think the I the, I think the world is. It's a bit different now. You don't like, I mean, maybe when I was coming out into the film industry, that was kind of, you met. You wrote for TV and you wrote for film. You wrote either a feature script or you wrote, you know, a 13-series episode TV show. Yeah. And even though YouTube and social media existed when I was entering film school, it wasn't taken seriously as a medium in which you could tell stories. Now you've got shows that are specifically made for YouTube or TikTok or stuff like that, and it gets... You, even screen australia's got like a whole section of short form content that's designed for uh youtube reels and tiktok
0: yeah
1: uh, yeah like i'm constantly like looking for different stories that i can tell and and but yeah i guess what i'm saying is the the structure the old school structure of how that goes if it goes into a feature film or goes into a tv show is it's no longer as yeah. relevant
0: yeah that's right i i was teaching a class a few weeks ago and some One of the kids was talking about something she knew or something she'd heard. And I said, Where'd you learn that? TikTok. It's where you learn everything I was told. (laughs) I don't even have TikTok. (laughs) I better get onto it. Yeah, you can definitely.
1: It's fun to be a voyeur on TikTok. You just (laughs) uh, swipe around and see see what's happening.
0: You know, as you've been talking, I was thinking, Yeah, YouTube, TikTok, all those things, social media. It's obvious that a lot of people, they like the idea of making their own films making their own narratives making their own documentaries on whatever but to be a full-time filmmaker you know if that's what you that's what someone wants to pursue not necessarily a influencer or not necessarily you know sort of making music videos just on the side but a full-time filmmaker what what advice would you give to someone how would you where would you steer them
1: yeah, um it's a hard one because I look at my sister who's in the kind of engineering field and doctors and engineers and lawyers like there's this career path that like you can't really practice those yeah crafts unless you've got a very specific set of qualifications and you've got them in a very specific order <laughs> yeah. so giving career advice to someone who wants to be a doctor is I would say easy you got <laughs> You got to do this. You got to go get your internship, and you can't do the internship before you get the degree. <laughs>
0: That's
1: right. I think for creatives, one thing that stuck through is you—you got to somehow find a way to keep practicing your craft.
0: Yeah, right.
1: You think of a musician, and they're on the piano every day. So it's frustrating for filmmakers because to make a to make a film, it costs a lot of money and, and involves a lot of people. But if there's some way that you can find to keep practicing your craft, and and there's lots of ways I've since fallen into that. And if it's writing, if it's bringing out your phone and filming shots, and if you're if you're cinematically minded and just filming stuff, it doesn't have to necessarily go anywhere. But just practice. Mm. If it's watching a film and analyzing it, um, you know, making and then you know, make the short films um, and submit them into the film festivals, and 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 kind of just keep practicing your craft and it will open doors and I've, mm-hmm. I've a lot of my business opportunities have come out of film festivals and the networking I've done there, which has come out of the films that I've made. Um, it's a very swirly kind of industry and it's hard to look at one person. It's hard to look at me and go, oh, that's what Viv did, I'll do that. You know, times changing and the technology is changing. I can't. You know, I, I. It's hard for me to give advice. For. Yeah, I think it's hard to give that kind of very specific advice of go get this degree. I mean, I. You could argue that the degrees aren't particularly useful. Um, I found them useful for connecting me to community. The people yeah. I'm making films with yeah. now. Um, I got out of film school. I didn't. The technical stuff I learned at film school, all those cameras and editing software, are outdated now. Yeah. But I got, I got my, I got my network out of. Yeah, so, so, I think, yeah. so it's, it's an interesting one, like how you look at. Um, if you think you've got a pretty strong community, um, there's a very strong argument in the film um, world that you know you could dump 30k on a film degree, or you could dump 30k on a short film, and they're kind of the same thing. Yeah, right. It depends what you're suited towards it. Yeah, you know, I mean, look yeah. at yourself, and you go, "Oh, look, I'm quite extroverted. I'm good at making friends." um i think i can build community on my own and i would rather put my money into making short films and submitting them into festivals um always save money to submit to film festivals
0: yeah. right
1: <laughs> everyone spends their money making the film and they get to the film submit submission part and they go ah it's 50 bucks a submission
0: <laughs> I where i'm going to find that
1: yeah yeah i don't know how helpful that is but uh, that is
0: helpful i think you, well what i got from it was that you're saying you have to be persistent and yeah. You know things will come and go and got to give it a try and i think as you say with the arts that's the thing isn't it if you want to make a career out of anything within the arts you know one of my kids is an actor and he he can have a really good run for a while and then it's a bit dry for a little while but just got to keep going for those auditions and what about if people want to see your films where's the best place to find them
1: yeah uh they're all they're all over the place We have a – so my company, um, it's called One Eye Open Productions. Like mm-hmm. you have One Eye Open when you're looking through a camera. Um, well, you're used to anyway. Now you've got big screens. and <laughs> it's, a hard, it's a throwback to an old era
0: yeah.
1: of cameras. But anyway, so that's um, number one, letter I, O-P-E-N,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, oneeyeopen.tv. That'll take you to our website and all of my adventure production stuff's there. My right. own personal website has a bunch of stuff so that's uh, dot com. um yeah there's i mean and there's a youtube channel uh for uh, for one i open has a youtube channel and there's behind the scenes um content about how we made a lot of this stuff great uh, the most of the most of the films have uh have been released uh online
0: All right no, that's great viv and it sounds and i mean just the stories behind them which you sort of touched on in this conversation i think that's, uh, yeah, that's fascinating, just where you're going and what you're doing and and all of that. So thank you very much for giving us the time today to talk about what you're doing. And all the best for your next, whatever comes next, whatever you're working on next. Have you got something in, not in the can, so to speak? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> about to get uh- in the can.
1: I do. I've got um I've got two scripts that I'm working on, two feature scripts um that I'm working on with my friends. Um we did a proof of concept short film for one of them and so we're now going to we had some, we had some great success with that in uh film festivals so we'll great. start the long road of getting that feature made. Um and then I'm directing commercials. I got a I got a there'll be a commercial that will hit TV screens at some point. You know, sadly I can't release yet what it is but That's um all right. In, in between Brilliant. the feature stuff, I I direct commercials and I work on the app, and it's almost like there's too much stuff going on, Gary. No,
0: but that's great. It's great. To, and just to see you using your, your skills and all that and your passion, more than just your skills, but your passion. I mean, it's good to have something to do like that that you enjoy.
1: Yeah, I got to fill the time with something, haven't you? <laughs>
0: <laughs> great talking to you, Viv. Send my regards Bye-bye. to your sisters as well.
1: yeah well thank you so much for having me it's a pleasure to have a chat with you and um touch back with the skanks world
0: yeah yeah no it's great to have you great to have you on and if anyone's got any questions uh for viv you can send them through me or any other feedback go and have a look at a website enjoy the films and uh i look forward to seeing you all around sometime take care bye